0: Please be seated. It's a really, really special uh, morning this morning. Uh, If you've read your newsletter, we have guest speakers uh, Tim and Mel Downs, who have been serving in Malawi for 12 years now. And I'd love just to invite them to the stage. Here they come. And can we give them a massive, massive Bridgie welcome? It's so good to have you, Tim and Mel. Um, For those that are Uh, don't know Tim and Mel, they've been over there in Malawi for 12 years, uh, working with a people group, the Yao people group, um, a very unreached people group, know very, very, very little about uh, our Lord Jesus, this precious one that we sing about here this morning. And Tim uh, left his job as a a builder, Mel as a teacher, uh, those many years ago to invest into this community. And we are so thankful that we can partner as a church to partner with people who are reaching those Uh, least reach. And so it's so good to have them here this morning. Now today, uh, this morning, Tim will share with us, but Mel is lined up to speak at 4pm and 6pm service. So come out again in the evening and you can hear more from Mel. Um, But Mel has also written this amazing book. One of the blessings that's come out of COVID is a book. When I I realised, she thought, well, COVID, what am I going to do? She wrote a book. Like, who does that? It's amazing. Amazing. Um, and it's such a great book. I just want to give um, Mel just a little bit um, of time to share about that book. And then we'll, uh, we look forward to hearing from Tim as he shares God's Word.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having us here this morning. It really is. We feel like we're drinking in, just celebrating being together. And I don't know how often you appreciate being together, but appreciate it because God is incredible. Um, I wrote this book, actually. It kind of came out of this fire in my belly of, Lord, what are you trying to get me to do here? But I think the real crux of it is the power of the testimony. When God speaks to us through someone else's story, it, it really hits hard. And, and I, I've, I've been affected by that myself. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'll be vulnerable. I'll put my story out there and see what He's going to do. And it's just been an incredible journey. And my point is that God is incredible. It's not me, it's God. And when I reveal my mistakes and my issues... Through ministry, through being in a village in Africa, what I want it to do is to say, hey, God can do anything, anything. So look, let me share that with you. It will feel like I'm having a cup of tea with you. So sit down and have a read. Thank you so much. That's
0: great. Yeah. I wholeheartedly recommend that. Just It'll be on sale just out these doors. Um, but it's so authentic. Um, Mel's walk and just uh, with God and seeing God intervene in that way you can't help but be encouraged and inspired to step out in faith yourself as you read that book so I commend that and now Tim we get to hear from you but before uh, we do let's join together in prayer as we long just to hear from God um, as we listen through Tim here now. Lord we've sung just incredible songs. Uh, Lord you reigning above it all. Lord you uh, defeating darkness and bringing light. And Lord, we recognise your presence right here. And Lord, we as your children want to hear from our Father. And so Lord, bless him by your Holy Spirit. Bless him and empower him. God, give us ears to hear what it is you have to say to us. We thank you, God. We love you, God. We, we long to hear from you now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Can we welcome Tim as he shares with us?
2: Andrew, thank you. Mate, I did read that book. It's a good read. Um, it didn't make me feel like having a cup of tea with my wife. It actually made me feel like wanting to be an African missionary. So you want to very go easy with it. It's a little convicting. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. It's really good. As Mel shared, being with other like-minded people, singing, praising, praying, it's really encouraging. You know, it looks very different here. Not, not just to when we were here three years ago, but very different from where we are in Africa. There's a couple of images that might come up, but if you can picture like one of those scenes off a National Geographic show where you've just got the the village with the grass hand-woven mats, big sprawling mango trees, mud huts with grass roofs, that's what it looks like where we share God's Word there. Um, We take our shoes off because reading God's Word, we are entering into a holy space. We open ourselves up to what he wants to share. Andrew, you guys have journeyed with us since the start, hey? So we want to say thank you for that. We thank you we'll use the word partnership, right? it's It's a funny word in some ways, because Bridgman gets behind a missionary and says, "We'll pray for you guys. we'll 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 link up with like Skype calls, we'll send you money, we'll send you encouragement, and it's 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 a beautiful thing for us, but what's the two-way bit? It's a funny partnership, you know? I guess in some ways today, my desire is that I give something back to you from the Yao faith community. There's a bunch of believers who have made this allegiance shift to be a follower of Jesus in these Islamic villages in the south of Malawi. They don't don't have any of this. They don't even have a Bible fully finished in their language. They don't have podcasts. They don't have pastors or preachers. They don't have devotional books or commentaries. They don't have any of that. But I suggest what they do have is is, is they have this perspective that I think is sometimes lost on us. I guess when they hear the stories of Jesus, they're not just stories out of the book. They can place them as things that happen in their village. They can see them playing out. A, A couple of examples is... We're, we're a farm in community of subsistence farmers. They know what it means to go out. That you're either a farmer in Malawi or you're a fisherman. The idea of going out and throwing your nets out all night and not catching anything, it's, it's not a story in a book. That was last Tuesday when you were out in the lake. The idea of going out and planting. I remember one occasion I went out to a village. It was called Chemokoli. um, And I was going to share that story about Jesus And and he was telling the story about how a sower went out to sow. You you might know the story. I I had some seeds in my pocket. I was ready, you know. So when I sat down, I I threw some seeds out. And I went on to read out of the scripture. It said, a sower went out to sow. As I looked back, some chickens ran along and started picking up the seeds that I threw. And some birds flew down. And they really disrupted everything. And then an old lady in the village, she said, Baba, I said, Nothing happens in English where we are. It's in another language. And what it means is, Bubba, stop there. So, so picture this. I'm the, the, I'm the missionary there to teach them about Jesus. I've read one sentence from that story. And the lady goes, Bubba, why would you throw seeds where you know people walk? Why would you throw seeds on the path? Why would you even throw seeds where there's rocky ground? Why would you throw seeds where there's prickles? You only ever plant a seed where the soil is ready. And I went on to share some of the story, and that's exactly what it talked about. And she said, there's something wrong with the sower in this story. Is he a bit simple? (laughs) Isn't this funny, right? How many times have we heard this story? But fair dinkum, I've never heard someone say, so this joker who doesn't know how to farm went out. Isn't it amazing? They don't have the commentaries, yeah? They don't have the podcast, but I tell you what, they have this perspective that is lost on us. There's another story that I'm sure we know quite well. It's of a time when Jesus was found talking to a woman at a well in the middle of the day. Same story. I entered into this story and someone says, Baba, remember? Just wait there. We've got a situation here, Baba. What is Jesus talking to this woman at midday? That's where the sun is at midday. Everybody knows, all the women go to the well at five o'clock. And, and when they say that, the well is just over there. All the women go there and they meet with their friends and they discuss what's been happening in the village. If this lady was there at the middle of the day, it means it means she's probably a prostitute. Remember, I've read one line. She should have met with the other women. But if she goes at lunchtime, she knows men will come and speak to her. She's, she's there for business. Isn't that amazing? I haven't even started to teach them about that story yet. They seem to have put together the context amazingly, haven't they? And the bit they talk away, I went on to share. Well, actually, she didn't have a husband. She'd had five husbands, and she was ostracised by the women. And it was, and they all understand that. But the bit they love is, they go, "Ooh, he said Goya." They said, "They said Jesus is fearless. Why would he be risk talking to her?" Doesn't it just, it's like someone pulling the curtain back and going, man, well actually Jesus is fearless. And they said, "He, he mustn't care what people say about him. I said, he doesn't. Isn't it fantastic? They also know what it means to not be good enough. There's a bunch of religious leaders in the community who are always telling them that they're not leveling up with the law. They can always fast better. They can always go to prayer meetings better. They can always give more. There's always a sense that they're never a bit like the Pharisees. So isn't it beautiful? There's this relatability that comes in. So what I want to share today, what I want to give back today from the Yao faith community is some perspective on a passage of scripture I'm I'm assuming we know quite well. I was one of those kids who was spammed with the gospel since day one, right? I had my little matchbox cars and I would play at the front. Dad would be up here doing his thing. And I've heard this story on Jesus teaching in prayer many times. Maybe you have too. Before I enter in, about six weeks ago, I'm up in Mackay doing some sharing at a church. And I was out the front on time. You know, GPS has saved the life of a missionary because you can get to churches on time. You don't have to argue with your wife about finding the address. I was out there and a guy walked in, got off his motorbike and was walking in with his helmet off and his jacket. Bit of a rough looking dude. And I was out the front and he, he, he sort of said, am, am I at the right place? I said, are you looking for a church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I on time? I said, yeah, man. I said, don't you normally come? And he goes, nah, first time. So I leaned and I said, well, fella, you're lucky, right? Apparently there's this visiting speaker from Africa. He snapped back at me. He goes, what the heck do I care about Africa? I don't, I don't come to church to hear about Africa. I come to church to hear about Jesus. He's on point, yeah? So, so when I enter into this story this morning, my encouragement to all of us is that we're not here to hear a story from a guy from Africa, but we're here to hear about Jesus, Yeah? Let that be my encouragement and our commitment as we go into this. If you have bibles with you turn to with me it comes from Luke chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished he said one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray just as john taught his disciples and he said to them when you Pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have no food to offer him. We know the story, yeah? Most of us can close our eyes and say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know it. Remember, we're sitting under these big sprawling mango trees with a hand woven grass mats and we open the scripture. Now, when you open the scripture and you are a follower of Jesus, but you don't have the word of God in your language, there's a sense of quiet and reverence it's it's you know what it is it's awe that comes over that goes we are hearing from God and there's this expectation that when you hear God's word something will change I I guess what they want is they don't know much about God's word but they want to make sure that their level of obedience is is kind of the same learn a bit more about God I, I, I reckon often the case here in australia is we know heaps about god's word but i wonder if we would say our obedience levels up they like this story right because jesus disciples are saying can you teach us to pray and it's funny because i suspect these guys would have known how to pray these guys would have gone to the synagogue as little little kids not with their matchbox kids but matchbox cars but they would have been part of the synagogue hearing the hebrew scripture They would have had to learn massive chunks of it as being a a Jewish kid. So they would have known how to pray. But they asked Jesus, because maybe what stood out to them is the way that Jesus had these conversational type prayers with God, the Father. Possibly even in Aramaic or Greek. Hebrew was the language of the synagogue. But when they were out walking along the lake with Jesus, it was probably Aramaic. It was that conversational market language. The guys in Malawi go to mosques. And they learn massive chunks of Arabic prayers. They know the right prayer if you're killing an animal. They know the right prayer if you're going on a journey. They know the right prayer when you wake up before you eat. And it, they rattle off beautiful, long Arabic prayers. Very few of them understand or know what they mean. Because Arabic is the language of the mosque. The language of the market is Chiao. It appealed to them the way that Jesus, because so they lean in and they go, Bubba, we want to learn about this. The bit that really stands out, I will read. Suppose one of you goes to a friend in the middle of the night and he says, let me borrow three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has dropped in and I haven't got anything for him to eat. And suppose your friend asks, answers, don't bother me. No one leans forward on their seats because we're on grass mats, but everyone's like, eesh, ah, achamwini. It's like, ooh, there's a blow. Before I went to Africa for the last 12 years, I lived in Australia for 32, I think. No one ever, I've never had that experience where someone's come to me at night. Knock, 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 it's midnight. Mate, you wouldn't have a, hamburger buns would you got an out of 10 you know it's never happened to me has, has anyone had that someone come at midnight knocking asking for bread so see so, so how do we relate to this story when when I read that people picture it because that was like last week when Ishmael's cousin Aisha came through because of some family business they they know exactly what this looks like they don't Hear it, they see it playing out in front of us. What they don't understand is when the guy says this, don't bother me. We don't have the timetables or the buses that uh, Australia was so pointed on time, right? If there's a funeral that you need to go to or if there's an a, a initiation ceremony or a wedding, you just hear a word and you just get your family and you start walking to the village someone gets sick you just pull up at the nearest village where there's a good chance you've got a relative like just picture you've got most guys have got three or four wives so there's there's a fair spattering of people that you're related to so it's not uncommon to have this scenario happen what is uncommon is the whole don't bother me the reason being in a communal shame on a society there's just too much honor at stake there would be the potential that you would be known as the one who doesn't help and is not hospitable to visitors actually not just you your whole family would be labeled as they're the ones who aren't hospitable it would go beyond that your village would become known as the village that you don't want to go there don't go to Cast Kastu. Don't go to Umbamba. I heard a story once where someone—they and they, they never fed him. They never gave. It's—it's it's absurd. So, so, so then, how do you reconcile what happened in this story? Is Jesus making this up? Well, the next part of the story seems to help out. It lines up nicely with Jesus' teaching here. Remember, remember how this is pictured. Jesus' disciples say, "Can you teach us to pray?" So he gives them a model prayer and then he goes on and he chooses a story to illustrate and to back up his point. So bring it down to Jesus wants to teach his disciples how to pray and this is the story he chooses. Don't bother me. That would never happen. A bit like, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead it would never happen. Or, or, hey, Dad, can I have an egg? Yeah. Here's a scorpion. Like, it's crazy talk, right? It, it would just never happen. It seems it seems Jesus is making a point by using a it would never happen story technique. It, it, he uses it further down the line in a couple of chapters when he's in front of a bunch of Pharisees. Apparently, they're quite high in society. And straight off the bat, he gets them on edge by saying, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. They're not sheep herders. They're not down this class. And they're straight away... Jesus is a master storyteller. And he seems to be making a very strong point here, down that line. Okay. So so I know this story. It's about persistence, right? Jesus is teaching on prayer. So what's prayer about? Prayer is about persistence. You just... You just keep on knocking. If, if you keep on knocking and you don't give up, you, you keep on knocking even shamelessly. You're persistent. Eventually, you will, you'll get what you need. It seems we as Westerners, we have this uncanny knack of putting ourselves in the centre of all of these stories that Jesus tells. We hear a story and we, we put ourselves as to what we do so we instinctively go well prayer's about me being persistent this is not always the case in non-individualistic societies like we are here to tell you guys that you're individualistic is a bit like trying to explain to a fish what water's like like there's no reference point right like where do you I mean obviously you can't explain anything to a fish but you get my point We're in a communal society, a shame-honor society. Things are viewed very different. So I'm the missionary over in Malawi. Our gig is we're supported, we're prayed to go and share the good news of Jesus. You know, incidentally, God is just as good to us over there as he is to you. And he has a desire that people know him. We get a couple of leaders from each different village And there's about 12 of us who every three months we go away and we stay beside a lake. And we do like a three or four day sort of men's camp, I guess. Ishmael's not doing too bad, so he always brings a couple of chickens. Baba Baba Yusuf, he's got tomatoes, he brings the tomatoes. Ayatu, he always brings the rice. Someone else brings the salt and and we bring the food together and we have this camp. It's happened over tradition that the last day, we all get up early and we do like this communion up the top of a mountain. And we've, we've developed this pattern where everyone gets a rock from downstairs, down, down at the bottom. We carry it up and we, we leave this rock on a, on a little altar up the top. And it signifies something in our life that we want to leave behind with God. It might be a dodgy relationship or, or some unforgiveness or something that we say, God, I want to leave this with you and, and have it no longer part of my life. So I'm down there and I pick up my rock. And I look over and I see my mate, Ishmael. And I said, Which means, Ishmael, what? Is, is, your, is your sin overflowing this year? Because he had half a dozen rocks. And he goes, nah. No. But, but maybe my mother has some sin. Maybe my sister. Maybe my two brothers and my wife. Isn't it interesting? I just instinctively assume... I can get right before God. In the communal type society, he assumes I can do business with God, not just for me, but for my whole family. Even theologically, I'm not sure how that fits, but I do remember reading this story about Job when he was doing some offering before, and he was giving offerings for all the members in his family. There's a thinking that it's not just about me and God, but it's about us and God. They read the same scripture, but often interpret it very differently. Following on from that individual society thing, there's a a missiological anthropologist. hope you enjoyed that. That's the biggest words I know. (laughs) He he went to three different countries and asked some seminary students the same story. It's another story that we know. It's It's the prodigal son story. He went to Russia. He went to Zambia, our neighbours, and he went to America. Basically what he did is he got to the class of these seminary students ready to go out and said, can you just quickly buddy up with a mate and write down quickly the, the story of the prodigal son? It's amazing how the results were so consistent. In the American college, most of them, the story went like this. There's this rich guy, he's got two sons. One of them takes his inheritance early, goes to another country. Whilst he was there, he blows his money on wild living. Wine, women and song. Ends up in a pigsty and goes, you know what? Even my dad's workers do better than this. I'm going to go back and beg forgiveness. And he did. And that's the story. When they asked the Russian guys, right, they wrote the same story down. It went like this. There was this guy who had two sons. One of them took his inheritance early and went to another country. When he was there, there was a severe famine. And he thought, I'm going to starve, I'm going to die. I can go back to my father and beg for forgiveness and maybe I'll get a job. And he did, and he went back. So then he asked the guys in Zambia, they're our neighbours. They said it went like this. There was a guy who had two sons. One of the sons took his inheritance early and went to another country. When he was there, there was a famine, but, but no one would help him no one would give him food or anything to eat. So no one would ever stay in a country where people don't help you. So he thought, I will go back to my father and I'll beg for forgiveness and maybe he'll give me a job, and he did. So if we can pull that scripture up, here's what's very interesting, right? The story of the prodigal son. It is a father with two sons. He does blow his money on wild living it's coming squandered his wealth in wild living but there was a severe famine Yeah, and at the end nobody gave him anything isn't it beautiful the different cultures how they pull out what to them they see as a significant part we Westerners put ourselves in the center of the story, so because I wasted my money doing foolish things, then I decide I'll go back to my father and beg. That's just how individual people see it. People from another culture, they go, well, well something completely beyond their control. Like Who's in control of a famine? It's just the outside event that caused me to go back. Our Zambian mates said, well, if you're in a country where people aren't hospitable, then you don't stay there. Isn't it fascinating? Same scripture, three different perspectives. So when they look at this story, none of my African mates have ever assumed that the hero in this story is the guy who keeps on knocking. They've never assumed that the way that you get answered prayer is to just keep on annoying God till you till you eventually pry open his reluctant fingers and he'll give you what you want. Actually, I'm a father. I've got two boys. Just say one of them wants an ice cream or something. His best angle is not to just go, Dad, I want an ice cream. Dad, I want an ice cream. Dad, I want an ice cream. Dad, I want an, ice cream. Dad, I want an.... You know, because that's annoying. That's nagging. When you do that to a dad, dads just snap. And they say like these throwaway statements like, son, you're never going to have another ice cream for the rest of your life. <laughs> your mum rolls their eyes and goes, you know, go to your room forever. You're grounded till you're 40, like, You know what our dads are. That's how we roll, right? But that's not my point. The point is they don't assume nagging God is the best way to get a result. And they don't assume that it's what you do that gets something out of God. They always assume that the hero in the story is actually God. It's more about him and his character. None of them have ever thought that persistence is the secret to answered prayer. This word is tricky for us because I checked it out in a number of different translations. Some translations say persistence. Some say because of the boldness. Some say because of shamelessness, importunity. Some say brashness. Some say impudence. These are old school words, man. We never use them. Audacity. Audacity. Interestingly enough, at the bottom of the NLT translation, there's this little note that says it could mean shameless persistence, or it, or it could mean that that the guy wants to, in order to avoid shame, or that his reputation won't be damaged. Because if that's a perspective, then that lines up beautifully with my African mates. They think the hero of the story is never the guy who keeps on knocking. The hero is always the God who gives. This swings the story to, to the neighbor being the center. And because he wants to avoid damaging his reputation, he will give what he wants, what we want. Interestingly enough, in that story, the guy doesn't knock, 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 knock. He knocks once. It's it's the cultural and social shame that does the rest. That's what gets the guy up out of bed to help and and to supply him as much as he needs. The guy doesn't want the shame and disgrace of being known as the one who won't help a neighbour. Now we know in this story, God is the neighbour. He's the one that we go to in need. Check this, remember Abraham? He was the guy that God chose to build his people through, the father of our faith. There's a the story where, where, where God decided to let Abraham in on his plans. It's that story of when, when he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham backs up and actually challenges God on this, thinking that, man, if there are some righteous people in there, God, you don't want to destroy them along with the bad guys. You notice Abraham's angle to, 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 to petition God it's not the oh come on God come on God come on God like there's no annoying nagging God what he does is he I'll read it he says to God you surely wouldn't let them be killed when you destroy the evil ones you, you are the judge of all the earth you only do what is right Abraham plays the reputation card he appeals to God's character his honour You know, we see this a bit. Remember that old school psalm that we love, the 23rd psalm? Lord is my shepherd. You know, he guides us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's about him. It's about his reputation. God will always be the hero at the end of the story. And if somehow we swing it to, well, I asked the right way and I got what I want, we have missed a very big point. When Elijah was there with 450 prophets of Baal and he's telling them to keep pouring water over the bull. he's, he's Keep pouring, keep pouring, it's not wet enough, keep pouring. Finally, Elijah puts God to the test. He says to him, answer me God answer me so these people will know that you are Lord he appeals to God's character he he just challenges God to be true to himself please help me God so these people won't laugh at me now there's no him in the story God they'll kill me if you don't do this there's no he just says God you need to look godly here and he stepped back. What about Moses? We see this. all. Moses, Moses goes up on the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments, right? Everyone somehow takes off their rings, throws it into a fire. And, and what his brother says is a cow popped out. And they're all worshiping him. God comes. Moses comes down, sees them all worshiping. God goes nuts. And he's going to wipe them all out. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. And he, and he jumps in between and he starts praying to God. Look at the angle that Moses uses. God's going to wipe these people out. He says, if you do, well, well, the Egyptians will say that you just brought your people out here in the mountains just to get rid of them. He's appealing to God's character, his reputation, his honor. Same thing happens later on where God says, I'm not going to go with you people because I might wipe you out. And Moses backs up and goes, well, if you don't go, I don't go. And there's a standoff. And he, he doesn't, start annoying God, he says, it's in Exodus 33, he says, but if you do go with us, everyone will know that you are pleased with your people, God. He's playing the reputation guard. Prayer has to be more about God's character than our activity, yeah? It has to be. Prayer has to be more about God's character than our activity. It can't be just a formula that we get right And we'll get what we want out of a reluctant God. It has to be about a loving God. So my mates in Malawi always assume that God is the hero in this story. And and when they pray, I reckon sometimes it sounds a bit arrogant, a bit cocky. They're kind of just assuming that God will help them or, or solve this situation they don't seem to beg and plead like often I can find myself doing actually it's not arrogance is the wrong word it's they have this assurance that I, I sometimes envy they just assume God will be true to himself maybe a perspective that helps them is uh, they know what it is to be a slave generations ago they, they were slaves so they, they have history and stories of they know what it's like for a slave to beg to a master. You, you're, you're flat down on your face just begging. Then there was a colonial rule, so they know what it's like to be, to be a worker petitioning a boss. But now they know what it's like that it's a son asking a father Do you know a son asks a father very different to a slave asks a boss? Maybe they ask with an assurance that my dad who is good and loves me will do something good and loving. I guess that means their assurance, right? It's not arrogance at all. They assume that God will be true to God's word and they assume that there's no way God won't come through because then God will look stupid in this story and history shows us that God doesn't do that doesn't it spin how we go to God remember remember at the start when i said when my friends open god's word they assume something will change oh, i wonder what that is for us today how when we go to god how do we take ourselves out of the story and make it about him There's one more thing and point I I want to make. I think I know why I've never had a story where someone's come to me and said, mate, can I get half a dozen hamburger rolls? It's because I've never gone to someone's house at midnight to ask for half a dozen hamburger rolls. And you know why I haven't? Because I would probably prefer to get up and go down to the IGA or go down to the servo and solve the issue myself rather than... Look, maybe a bit needy and dependent on my neighbor. (laughs) It's just old school pride, isn't it? Pure and simple. There's a couple of big points we take away from this story, from the perspective of our yow mates. One is that we need to remember God is true to who he is, and he's true to his word, and his track record proves that. We can count on that. The other one is, is we need to go to God in a posture of humility that says, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm too weak. I'm needy. God, if you don't pull me out of this situation, it's very different to God. I got this plan and I wouldn't mind you adding a bit of your blessing on to help me out. But if you don't, I'll probably get over the line. and It's completely different, isn't it? You people are a people of prayer. I know that. And we can petition God for 21 days or 42 days or as long as it likes. But it's not about how we do it, is it? We don't have to convince God that we have a good plan. Do you you think God is using anything other than his A game? We humbly go before him and say, God, we need your help here. And God, please glorify yourself. Because at the end of the story, we want you to be the hero, not us. Every time. Isn't that simple? It's as simple as this. Even if the kids didn't go out, they could have stayed and they could have heard it this this way. God distills it into a simple line. He says, which one of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake? We can all understand that. God's a good God who gives good things. Which one of you fathers, if your son asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion? It's crazy talk. But it's simple because God wanted to make it simple in that realm of, and this is how you pray. Let's pray now. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We, we love it. It's alive, Lord. We thank you that you are building and extending your kingdom amongst Yao in Malawi as well as here in Bridgie. And we thank you that you are true to your word, Lord. Jesus, you said... Over 2,000 years ago, I will build my church. And Jesus, we hold you to that. Thank you, you are true to your word. Lord, we pray your blessing upon it this morning. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to to do the work that you need to in our hearts. So that when we come before you, we're not those annoying little kids, but we're actually a child before a good father who just has an assurance that says, my God will do good. Lord, lead us in blessing, lead us in goodness, lead us in paths of righteousness even. Why? Always for your name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, um, Tim. And as a church, I feel this is a really timely message for us uh, leading into those days of 21 days of prayer. And quite a simple message in one sense of turning the focus onto who God is. Isn't that that refreshing to say it's not about me. It's not about me praying in the right way. It's about looking at who God is, a God who loves us dearly more than we can imagine, a God who reigns above it all as we've sung. We are blessed people, are we not? To know this God and to be able to come to a God like that. And maybe in today as we bring our needs before God we all have our various needs maybe sometimes we think well God would He even have time to hear my needs is you know am I bothering him or maybe we think you know is my life worthy for him to answer prayers well today we've heard so it's not about us it's about his good character a loving heavenly father that is a good word And as we come to 21 days of prayer, I want to encourage us. How awesome is it for 21 days we can bring all of our requests before Him, this great God. And as I was listening to Tim, just one verse came to mind that reminded me of the confidence we can have of God's love for us and the confidence that we can enter in to go to Him and approach Him boldly. In Romans 8, Paul's Paul writes about all that Jesus is and all that he's done. He says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, it's about him. And then it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If the Father has laid down the life of his son, given his son for us, How will He not graciously give us all things? In your situation and circumstances, I pray this morning that we would be people of confidence, that we would just rest in who God is. And I pray that now as as we worship, about to worship about uh, who Jesus is and all that He's done for us. May there be a great freedom. And I wanna wanna ask or encourage you just to release those needs to that that loving Heavenly Father who loves you and wants to bless you and pour out His goodness upon you your life. Would you stand with me as we continue in worship now? We just place you in that highest place and just thank you, Jesus, that you have looked after our greatest and deepest need in Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, if you have looked after our sin, you've looked after death, you will look after our every need. Lord, right now, we just throw ourselves upon your love and your grace and your character. You have been faithful since the first day of this earth and this universe, you will be forever faithful. And I pray that over each one now, Lord God, that you would help us to look to you, to look to your faithfulness, to look to your grace, to rest in who you are day by day, moment by moment, Lord God. Even this week, I wanna pray that we might know your grace in those needs in our life, those things that we're crying out to you for. Lord, may we know your grace in those places. Thank you, you're a God that is always available. Thank you, God, that you're a God who is always powerful. Thank you, God, you're a God who is always loving. Lord God, we worship you, we honour. We are not worthy of You, Lord God, not worthy of Your goodness, but we lift You up and crown You as the King of kings and the Lord of lords here, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody just give a shout of praise to God. Is He not good? He's good. He is good. Please be seated. I do want to say, if if you would like to be prayed for this morning, it's, it's been about prayer that we can go to God. We have a prayer team that will meet you down here. would love to pray for you. Also... Mel and Tim will be out the side doors. You can purchase the books. And also, if you would like to spend more time with Mel and Tim today, in the newsletter you'll find uh, details of a lunch, just a BYO lunch over at Pine Rivers Park. After this service, you can meet there and just get to know them more, get to know their ministry as well. I'm sure they would love that. Um, but could we just finally just put our hands together again for, for Tim and Mel? We really love having you guys here. been really blessed uh, by your ministry. Not just today, um, over Many years. So thank you so much for that. God is good. He's with us. Have a great week. We uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.